Okay, guys, welcome to this episode tonight. I am talking to the one and only Ian Walker, aka um, I4 Walker. Um, yep. Ian, if you'd just like to introduce yourself to people that are tuning into this episode. Hi, um, I'm Ian Walker. Um, I have ulcerative colitis. Uh, I also have a, a stoma, and uh, this is my story. Amazing. Um, Ian, so obviously it's a bit of a small world. Uh, my cousin introduced me to yourself, and obviously you're quite good friends with her husband, Fletch. Uh, so, yeah, it feels like I almost know you a little bit just by uh, following yeah. you on social media. Um, okay. So Ian, walk me through your life prior to being diagnosed with uh, ulcerative colitis. What sort of stuff were you up to? Um, I, was, I was a fairly active person. Um, all through my youth, I was kind of um, quite an enthusiastic sports person. Uh, played quite a bit of rugby as a kid. Um, right up until the point, really, about probably about six, seven years ago, um, I started to um, develop the early symptoms of what I now know to be bowel disease. Um, at the time, um, I, I actually ignored the symptoms, um, as a guy, that's, that's what you do. And, uh, I was actually around at my, um, parents' house and, uh, I'd used the, the downstairs toilet. Um, and for some unknown reason, I, I, I didn't flush. Um, I, I know. Yeah. He's a non-flusher. I, I know, I, I washed my hands and did whatever I did and stuff. And I walked out and about 20 minutes later, it was actually my mom that walked into the bathroom and uh, she, she shouted. And at that moment I realized I'd not flushed. And she came out and she basically said to me, how often do you have that? Um, to which I told her five plus times a day. And uh, she was the one that originally made me go to the doctors. Um, I went to the doctor on num a number of occasions over 12 months and uh, each time I was sent away and told that I just got a tear. Um, they prescribed me with suppositories, which um, were the most uncomfortable things ever. I'd put them in, they'd come straight back out. Um, also laxatives, because they believed that when I was passing things, it was actually causing a tear. And unfortunately, that's, that's what was causing the issue. Yeah. Um, I eventually asked to be referred to another doctor and uh, that doctor actually sent me for a colonoscopy. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. My original colonoscopy didn't, they, they weren't able to identify anything specific. Uh, they couldn't see a tear. Um, so I actually went back for another colonoscopy uh, at a later date and they identified what they thought to be Crohn's at the time which um, fortunately for me, um, well, I believe it to be fortunate, um, it was ulcerative colitis as opposed to Crohn's. Um, for me, that, that to a degree was a godsend, um, having spent nearly 12 months thinking I'd got bowel cancer. Um, I actually had a name to the condition that I had. Um, it gave me an overwhelming sense of relief because I had the ability to then go away, research it, um, they give you minimum amounts of information at hospital, but I was able to do my own research and, and look into it. So, yeah, I think yeah, that's, that's a real positive when we do, because like yeah. you just mentioned, like your story, unique to yourself, but very common within yeah. the IPD community is the length of time 
and checks and balances that have to be done before we yeah. actually get a confirmed diagnosis. And you yeah. know, there's plenty of people out there that are still, they like the word indeterminate because it keeps mm-hmm. them open. Um, yeah. So yeah, there's, there's quite a few people out there that still really yeah. know what they've got and are going on a management plan. That yeah. So yeah, it's amazing. Like, so before, how old were you when you were diagnosed? Oh gosh. Um, so it's about seven years ago. So I was about 30, how old am I now? 39. So it was about 32, 32, oh, 33 so when I was diagnosed. I know. Yeah. Tell me about it. <laughs> <laughs> so, but no, before, before my actual, sorry, going back to your, your first question, before my actual diagnosis, um, I'd actually, I've been going to the gym for quite a while. Um, I was quite heavily into bodybuilding in the build up to, to, um, being diagnosed and, um, actually got into running which running I believe gave me the ability to cope with my symptoms a lot better um I started doing endurance events um and with with the colitis it in the in the early stages of having the colitis I was still able to do endurance events um when it got worse and the pain progressed um i slowly actually stopped doing what i loved um and and mental health problems that came with that was phenomenal um just having something that i once saw as the main thing that i was good at in life which was running just being taken away um so yeah, going from an active person to a not active person was pretty soul destroying at the time. I do remember that. So, and uh, what was it about the running that you felt was so good for you and and your mental health? What was it about it that you found? It it blocks everything out. So when when you're running, um, regardless of distance, um, your legs feel tired, your body's tired. Um, and, and at that moment in time, nothing, nothing else matters. So my, my wife runs um, endurance events as well with me. And um, if, you've, if you've been out running, say, for five, six, seven, 12 hours, um, all, all you care about is putting one foot in front of the other. Everything else in life seems irrelevant. And it just, gives, it just lifts a mental fog that I have and helps me kind of focus on what I'm doing which then helps in life with my ability to focus on one thing at a time, as opposed mm-hmm. to, I found sometimes during my life, I've had a number of things that hit you at the same time and I'm just not able to cope. Um, so yeah, for, for me, it just, it just gives me a bit of clarity, gives me the ability to just block everything out and kind of start from scratch. Um, but yeah, that's, you mentioned really. there about losing that and, and how that sort of started impacting. So how did you get through that uh, period of your life? Like, so you've obviously had running as a main source of just, yeah. just physical and mental well-being. And yeah. that was taken away. What was going on then after? So how did life change since you got diagnosed? Um, I, as, as my symptoms progressed, um, I mean, when, when you're doing uh, an ultra event, generally they tend to be trail races, cross country. So in the early days, if I had to stop in the woods or somewhere once or twice during the race, then, then I'd do it. I'd just make sure that I've got something in my back bag that I'm running with to make sure I can quickly change into something. Um, but as, as the illness progressed, 
Um, I found it quite, um, quite soul destroying because once or twice in a race turned into, I sometimes wasn't able to get off the toilet at the start of the race to be able to start the race. Mm-hmm. So um, we did a we did a twelve hour race probably about four years ago now, and uh, I started half an hour after everyone else <laughs> because I couldn't physically get off the toilet, and um, I ran out and I was the only person to go over the line and. And I, I actually pulled out probably about five hours into it mm-hmm. um, because I, I just couldn't deal with it. Um, they, they, they did put me on a lot of medication um, throughout the years. Um, some of it put me into remission for a few months, which was great. Um, some of it just didn't work and others gave me horrific side effects. So they had to take me off it straight away. So. Unfortunately, I just progressively got worse to the point of where I was in pain um, and mentally, even running just couldn't block it out. Mm-hmm. I, I just couldn't physically, yeah, I just couldn't deal with it. And I ended up in such a dark place that, yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, whenever, just, when yeah. do you move into, because obviously the, like the, the thing I've noticed most about the medication and IBD yeah. is that, there are so many side effects and generally there's it's it's a small percentage of it where it's going to help you and then you're just running the lottery against all the other potential side effects so what what stage did um surgery start to become a realistic option for you surgery um just over a year ago um i started on um infliximab probably about four years ago now and uh, after my second infliximab infusion, my white bloods and neutrophils nosedived. Um, they moved me on to Humira. Um, Humira was great, put me into remission, came out of remission pretty much within a few months. Um, Azafiaprim, I came out in red hives all over my body. Um, Vudalizumab was amazing. Vudalizumab put me into remission for about a good six months, and then it just stopped. Um, I managed to go into remission without medication around about, about a year and a half ago now. Um, and it was great. I was, I was on no medication, no steroids, nothing. And then Christmas 2018, I noticed that my stomach started to swell. And uh, I phoned my specialist and spoke to my specialist. And she said to me, unfortunately, we've pretty much exhausted medical options. So what I'm going to recommend is that you speak to a surgeon um, regarding potential surgery in the future. Um, so she referred me to Dr. Lovegrove and um, I was told that he would contact me within six months. And uh, this was around Christmas time. Um, however, in February, 2019, on the 22nd, um, I just became really ill. I mean, horrifically ill. Uh, my eyes were bloodshot. I couldn't hold anything down. I woke up on a Monday morning and went to work, <laughs> um, managed to work a whole day scaffolding. And um, I'd phone my specialist in the morning and left a voicemail just to explain how I was feeling. And uh, she actually called me back uh, about two o'clock in the afternoon and just said, you need to go to hospital now. And um, when I said why, she said, because I think you're in trouble. Um, and so, yeah, it was, it was, on the 4th of March, 2019, um, I was taken into Worcester Hospital for an emergency operation. 
and to save my life, basically. And that's when Stan Mustoma was born. Stan Mustoma. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, Stan Mustoma. It's an incredible how quick the sequence of events that happens. Like yeah. between what, so Christmas to March, basically, you were just yeah. in a nosedive. Yeah, uh, I can't believe you went back to to bloody scaffolding. <laughs> like it's not I like know, it's, it's. I know. Do you know? I just thing is though, I I I lay in my hospital bed and I was talking to because I had a horrific post op. Um, they gave me a, a spine injection to numb me from the waist down, but when I came around for my op, that that didn't work. So I literally woke up from major surgery with zero pain relief. And I screamed, I literally screamed the place down to the point of where they had to knock me out with ketamine. I know. Yeah, yeah, I, so. I, my morphine dropped off a little bit at one point. Yeah. Like, but I, I still had pain floating around, uh, yeah. floating around, but it just dipped a little bit. And I was like, so I don't know mm. what I would have been like if I hadn't had any, mm. anything. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was a whole, a whole, yeah. It was like Panda. Thing is, though, ketamine didn't stop the pain. It stopped you caring it, about it. Yeah, that's it. It's it's weird because it kind of shuts you off completely, but your brain knows the pain's there. But yeah, you just you don't care about it. It's yeah, it's really strange. But that that is like Pandora's box. That stuff, honestly, when that opens, it just wow. It takes you a good few days to kind of get your head around that. Everything just, it's almost like from that scene in Trainspotting where everything collapses in around you. So it just, but um, yeah, after, after my off, I, I spoke to obviously a few people that had got stomas and stoma operations and things on the ward. And um, I made it my goal, obviously, at that moment to, to get back up, get running, because within, within hours of waking up from my operation on the high care ward, I mentally felt different. Mm -hmm. mentally physically i felt because i hadn't got that organ inside me that was poisoning me and it was gone and that fog was gone and i, I, I made a promise to myself that i was i was going to get up i was going to get out and i was going to go out i was going to run i was going to do everything that i couldn't do before and uh and and that's what i did four weeks after my off i i started running races again i just i know i just had a support belt around me it was slow really slow don't get me wrong but um yeah and about yeah, it was four, four weeks after I did a five-miler, uh, 10 weeks after I did the Worcester Half Marathon, and then um, about three months after I did a 50-mile ultra again. So I chucked myself straight back in at the deep end. That's amazing. So, but it gave me my life back. Honestly, yeah. gave me my life back. So. And I, think, I think that's the process sometimes of how you arrive there. I'm like, I've, I've, talk, I've talked to a few people now, and one of the guys who's also a PCI with me, he felt that if he... If it hadn't been his decision, he might have struggled a bit more. Whereas for you, it was mm. an emergency situation, mm. um, and it's it's amazing to to hear that. Obviously, just just the relief of yeah, almost being like a cure. Like, I I hate using the word cure because I know it's not. I know. Cure. I know. Yeah. But um, yeah, that that feeling of actually not being unwell or sick. Yeah. And just being That's able it. to go, oh, this is what being normal feels yeah. like. That's it. You forget what it feels like to be normal. And, and that's, yeah, it's amazing. After six years, six or seven years, sorry, of being ill, you're suddenly thrown into this world where you're not ill. <laughs> you can do everything. Um, and it's just, it's overwhelming. It's, it is overwhelming because all my friends have had kids. 
it just like Fletch, for example. Fletch had two kids. And I, I missed out on six years of birthday parties, going out and stuff, because generally I felt too unwell to go. So I just, I didn't, when I wasn't working, towards the end, I literally was coming home and sleeping on the sofa. And, and that was my life. Um, but yeah, it's, yeah, it's, I've, it's not over yet though. I'm, I'm slowly sliding again because they, they kept about seven inches um, of, from my rectal stub upwards to hopefully do a, a resection. Um, but that's not possible now. I had, a, I had a meeting two weeks ago with Dr. Lovegrove um, and within the next three months, I'm going to have the final operation to give me a Barbie butt. So yeah, that would be gone and Stan would be my, my friend for life. So, but do you know what? I don't mind. I honestly don't mind. And, I, and so many people that I speak to that have gone through that process, I've gone like to the next stage where I've got um, a J-Pouch, but so many people mm-hmm. find that just getting the ostomy is enough. I'm not, I'm not trying, I'm not being pro-surgery. I'm just yeah. explaining for people that are tuning in to the episode that in certain cases, the relief <coughs> is, is so, so overwhelming that mm. just, just like you're happy where you are and that yeah. kind of consideration. And it's amazing that, you know, those options are available to us. I'll be honest with you. If, if my last section had recovered, I would have gone for J-Pouch. Definitely would have done. I, I would have had the resection. I've got friends that have had it done. And, and initially, they say it takes a little bit of time, obviously, for your bodies to get used to it, which is, which is normal. But um, within a few weeks, one of my friends was um, um, fine. But then I've got another, another friend that took a couple of months. And, and yeah, I, I would have done that. But in the situation that I'm in at the minute, I wouldn't want to risk a resection for my last bit not to ever properly heal for me to then have to go through the trauma of having another operation for another stoma so in my head the best thing for me is just keep the stoma that I've got um and the other is not an option um but yeah there's some people don't don't get on with their stomas and I appreciate that I totally appreciate that because it is a really strange thing to have but for me it saved my life and um, I've gone from one extreme to the other and, and I'm content where I am. But yeah, if anyone is watching and yeah, a resection, if, if you can go for it, there's, there's so many benefits to it. With every operation, there's scare stories. There's scare stories with stomas, there's scare stories with everything. But if you look at the figures of the amount of people that have these operations daily, weekly, monthly and yearly, the, the small things that are issues out, sorry, are outweighed by the positives of the operations. So I'm totally with you on that. Yeah. Um, so what has this journey thus far sort of taught you about yourself? I'm stronger than I thought I was. Um, this is a bit philosophical, but life does punch you in the face. And it will kick you when you're on the ground. That's anyone, any point in your life. It could be losing your job. It could be having your car stolen. But bruises do heal and scars fade. Um, and you really, don't, you really don't appreciate how strong you are as a person until that is your only option. Um, and all through my illness, I suffered massively with mental health issues. And for me, just trying to change my routines and stuff, 
um, kind of kept me from losing it. But um, yeah, I don't know. I just, yeah, could have slipped at any point. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, that's crazy. Um, so for those people that are that are maybe newly diagnosed yep. or going through a process and waiting diagnosis, what would your advice be for those people? Life, life will change. Um, not necessarily always for the worst, but when you've been diagnosed, you've, you've got a name to it. Um, there's support groups out there. There's people that are going through what you've been through and talk that's that's the biggest thing talk even if it's something you're sat there thinking that it is completely irrelevant if you speak to somebody generally people can kind of reassure you in some way be it just say it's nothing to worry about or or to advise you to to speak um speak to a medical professional but your life by far is not over. There's so many wonderful things that they can do, so many drugs and stuff that they've, they've developed. Yeah, some of them do have side effects, but I mean, there's, there's breakthroughs happening all the time with Crohn's and colitis. So don't, do not lose faith. I've had it for, luckily, only six, seven years. Some people live with it for their whole life and Drugs like infliximab, for example, they work absolute wonders for people. And I've got friends that have been on it for 15 years and, and they lead fairly active, normal lives. So um, there are dark days, but dark days do pass, trust me. And um, so what sort of things have you brought into your life that has given you support? Like what sort of social groups have you joined? That the uh, Crohn's and Colitis UK Forum. Uh, that's a biggie um i also follow a group which is making ostomies cool um there's also oh gosh i can't remember what it's called it's a, a group for um endurance athletes with ostomies um i follow them as well there's a lot of um a lot of good information on there but there's also a lot of banter there's also a lot of kind of friendly kind of jokes and things and and although the symptoms are serious people also put a funny twist on it sometimes which can comfort you to a degree knowing that you're not on your own and generally you're talking to people on facebook on these groups sat on the toilet when they're sat on the toilet talking to you about the things at the same time so it's quite funny so but yeah, and Clark, yeah that's it yeah that's it so the Crohn's and Clark's groups are great absolutely great um, who was your first IBD follow then? Who did you first follow, like completely related to your, uh, your ostomy? Um, oh gosh, what's his name? Blake Beckford. Oh really? Okay, yeah. Yeah, he's the pers first person that I followed. When I was in hospital and I was lay there and I'd been given the stoma and the nurses said, your life's going to change, all this, that, the other. You're going to have to slow down on your running and stuff and stuff. I sat there and I Googled um, athletes with ostomies, um, people with ostomies that do modeling and stuff. And Blake Beckford came up as the first person. And I looked at him and I thought, yeah, you've, you've done it. So I'm going to do it. So he was actually my first person. So if, if, yeah, if Blake does actually ever watch this, 
cheers dude <laughs> so but no yeah there's there's loads of loads of athletes believe it or believe it not that have got Crohn's colitis ostomies um yeah it's just it is it's literally just, it's one of those invisible illnesses isn't it that, it, that. it is mate yeah it is it is i mean there's there's tv personalities that have got dynamo he's he's person that's, he's got um bowel disease um kane dingloff Emmerdale, he's got it as well mm-hmm. um but yeah just it's just awareness isn't it and if more celebrities came forward i think it would reassure people like myself that life doesn't end because you've got an invisible illness um how about you <laughs> Who was my first follow um, yeah a guy called ant uh he does ibd like it was ibd fitness but it's ibd life but actually to be fair to you he wasn't that far ahead of blake himself as well oh right okay so okay. yeah i was uh those two were the, the first i'm very definitely because I, I was literally again similar to yourself just googling stuff yeah and he popped up um and i was like oh i'll give this guy a follow yeah crazy it is crazy like how much just searching around the web and then just mm. pour into those avenues that it just helps so much it does and, yeah i find insp- sorry carry on i know i was gonna say i find inspirational though yeah. Um, when you see someone that's been through such dark times come out the other end a better person or like Blake for example he always wanted to do some form of competitive competition and after his operation um, that's what he set his mind on doing and he did it so it is possible but it's hard <laughs> it is hard I find running with an ostomy easier than I did before um, for some reason my digestive system um has evolved to a degree mm-hmm. um and i find it easier running distance now than than i did before um also having six years of pain um in my stomach and stuff and running with pain now that's gone when your legs hurt it's nothing you can run on painful legs that's fine yeah. um so yeah so what would you say inspires you then to push through the days where you're feeling like it's a bit difficult? Uh, there's people in worse, worse position than me. Um, there's people that can't physically do this. Um, people that have got, I don't know, for another extreme, people that have been involved in accidents and stuff and things that were completely out of their control that, um, that, that just can't. They, they can't walk, they're wheelchair bound. And all I've had done is my bowels are removed. As, as a person, I've got an ostomy, I've got a bag, that's fine. I, I can deal with that. Um, yes, yeah, so, sometimes I do have slight blockages and things like that and things, but I know that that's only temporary and that normal life will resume soon. So, yeah. So for me, it's just, yeah, just not, let, not letting my illness or my ostomy control me. Um, yeah, that's, that's, that leads me to my sort of next question. So managing having an ostomy and going through the stuff like that. Yeah. What sort of, have you learned any sort of tricks or trades or understand things a bit better about yourself in terms of managing your mental health? Um, yeah, it's routine for me. Um, if I start to slide as far as mental health is concerned, I know I need to change something in my life. 
be it. Um, excuse me. When I was having really dark days, uh, my wife was great on this. She was quite fundamental with me helping. Uh, so fundamental um, to me recovering from from depression. Um, we just used to go out at weekends as much as I didn't want to do it. Once we got in the car, we go to Burnham, for example, or to to Breen, and we'd just play in the penny arcades and stuff all day. But for me, it got me out of my routine, took me away from something, um, and and that helped me overcome it. Um, if I get stuck in routine, life becomes very mundane, quite boring. Um, so yeah, I kind of vowed to myself not to not to let myself get to that point again. Um, also, again, speaking to people, guys, not not being sexist, but guys generally don't talk. Um, if you're suffering, um, you generally just bite your tongue, just deal with it, suppress it. And then before you know it, you've got a mountain of thoughts in your head um, that you just can't deal with. So. No, I think that's really good. I think it's a, it's a really um, positive thing as well that you're able to identify all of those types mm. and see things for what they are. It's so true. It's like me and my, me myself, I, I tend to bottle things up still, even yeah. going through the, all the things that I've done, yeah. coming on to YouTube or uh, Spotify and stuff like that and talking about Yeah, I still find that I'll bottle things up or I'll struggle with just dealing with my own thoughts and uh, mm. yeah it's such it's such a, a a really important thing and i think obviously with today's media it's it's at the forefront of a lot of people's minds but yeah what sort of stuff um would you suggest for people if they're struggling with mental like uh, health or feel like they're not quite themselves what would you say or what would you recommend as a first step to sort of trying to address that beyond talking um Probably, I mean, I, I was renowned for just waking up in the middle of the night and waking up in the middle of the night with a million worries about stuff was, I used to write them all down. Everything that was niggling, worrying me. Um, one of my friends called it a worry list. So before speaking to someone, I'd write down a worry list and then I'd go through it individually and almost prioritize it. If, if there's certain items on there that I could do something about, how would I do it? What would I do to change it? And when I'd got it written down in front of me um, at three o'clock in the morning, I'd put it on the side, go to sleep, wake up in the morning, reread the list and think, wow, that makes no sense. Or that's, yeah, or that's, that's irrelevant, that's irrelevant, that's irrelevant. Because sometimes you can just, um, sometimes you can, sorry, am I on? Yeah, yeah. sometimes you can just, um, get overwhelmed with things and um yeah a, a few hours later you can kind of feel a bit better so i just personally I, i'd start off just by writing all of your worries all of your negative thoughts and everything down and then going through each one and working out whether or not there is something that you can do about it um and more often than not you'll identify that quite a few of them are just things that are irrelevant um that you've built up such a thing in your head um, that, that they, become, they become an issue when they're not. Um, but at the time, when you've got a million thoughts going through your head, you just can't deal with it. Yeah, so true. Uh, and it's, it's amazing how messed up your mind can put things. Uh, Absolutely. In terms of actually what, what does make sense. And that, uh, yeah. 
a logical mess that can sometimes come out is like absolutely and yeah. even that in itself just helps that realization going oh, it's actually that's <laughs> it does yeah and so what actually what took you to doing endurance events what took you beyond the sort of the normal sort of 5k stuff and, and said right i want to go max distance i've always had a bit of an addictive personality um as as a kid that goes for everything sports um school friendships everything um i started bodybuilding and uh i was bodybuilding when i met my wife and i was about 15 and a half stone aesthetically I looked all right, but I couldn't run a bath, <laughs> honestly. I, and uh, I went for a run with my wife um, because I used to do the mud runner events with my friends just for a bit of fun. And um, my wife said she wanted to, to do it as well. So I went for a run with her and I got about a mile into it, like properly running, not just plodding like you do at mud runner. And uh, I was on my hands and knees, couldn't breathe. And um, I realized then that I needed to do something for my health because being big wasn't good for my heart. Uh, and it kind of snowballed from there Mm -hmm. Um, I developed more of a love for pushing myself seeing how much further I could go each time how much further I could go each time Um, and within probably six six to twelve months myself and my wife signed up for Blackpool Half Marathon and uh, we went and did that and then (laughs) off the back of that signed up for an event called the Pembrokeshire Coastal Challenge which is three marathons back to back (laughs) um on three days and we just drove to Pembrokeshire and we did that (laughs) we got through um the first two two days and um halfway through the third day and I physically could not I just I I was done absolutely done um and we'd never run a marathon before but for me um the the feeling that you get halfway through when you feel absolutely shot you you can push through it generally mentally and you can get to the end um, and then when you finish and you're sat there, the overwhelming sense of achievement that you get from it is phenomenal. And that for me is like the endorphins I get from it is the buzz that I get from it. And that's the runner's high. And I just love that feeling. Mm-hmm. On the third day, unfortunately, my, my feet were in tatters. So I, I actually physically couldn't carry on. But um, yeah, and that's, that's where my love for ultra running and stuff was born. So yeah, just glutton for punishment, really. That's pretty amazing. <laughs> To know somebody that's doing it is incredible. Mm. Um, so what's what's the next then? What's next on the agenda? Obviously, you've got well, your up in a few months. Yeah, I've um, unfortunately my op is is this year. Um, I was planning to with a couple of friends run from um, Big Ben to the Eiffel Tower this year, um, but we've, we're going to have to put a pin in that this year, unfortunately. Um, my ideal goal, I'd say, is John O'Groats to Land's End. I've got um, a few friends that are doing it in a couple of years' time, and I've been asked to do that as well. Um, that would consist of running about f- approximately 50 miles a day for 25 days. Um, that's my goal at present. Um, yeah. I'll be honest with you. When I ran a half marathon, I didn't think I'd ever be able to run a half marathon, and then I did a marathon, and then I did 50 miles, 100 miles. And it's kind of like, each time I've done something, I've never really had a goal to get to that. I've just entered it and done it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. My, my ultimate goal is just potentially just to travel, I'd say, um, and do some endurance events around the world. I've got, um, there's a few guys that I know um, that a couple of them, I'm not sure if you've heard of Badwater. 
which is um no, no bad waters um it's 135 mile um ultra marathon that goes through death valley <laughs> oh no i have heard of that yeah yeah, yeah there's a, a guy that i met at uh, the grand union canal race he did that last year um but he also did the the canal slam which is the grand union canal which is 145 miles um can it an avon canal race that's 145 miles and then they oh, i can't remember what the other one's called um there's another one as well which is like 135 miles so it's just more races like that really um yeah it just but the community that do that kind of stuff they're so humble um that's that's the biggest thing i'd say that attracts me to them um because they're just humble guys you stand at the start line talking and there's no bravado there's no i've done this i've got that this this, and the other everyone's just normal guys and uh, i just i just enjoy it you run in you spend a lot of time with people and when you finish races you make some friends that you know for years um i've got one one friend in particular that um i've been friends with him five years and i've only ever really met the guy once <laughs> and that was on a race and yet we talk on online and stuff like we've known each other since we were kids so but that's because we spent eight hours running together and you really get to know someone over the eight hours i guess um, you almost um yeah that that amount of time in each other's company would almost be the amount of time in adult life that you probably spend with a mate for several you got years. it yeah you got it you do because you're going meeting for a pint for an hour or something yeah. Um, yeah. Every couple of weeks. So yeah. So what's what does your training look like? Um, uh, and specifically with having an ostomy, is there anything that you've learned or do that you find useful for that? My training. Um, I'll be honest with you, I don't really train that much. Um, I've got quite an active job. So as a scaffolder, um, I'm on my feet all day, every day, carrying kit. Um. So my feet and my legs ache at the end of almost every single day. Um, so as far as endurance is concerned, my, my legs are pretty, um, yeah, pretty well, um, pretty well rounded. Yeah, that's it. Sorry, conditioned, I mean, pretty well conditioned. Um, I go out for one, two runs a week, maybe. Um, nothing more generally than about six to 10 miles. <coughs> and um, what was your other part of the question, sorry? Was it, what sort what of stuff have you it? discovered re- relating to having an ostomy? Like, um, is there anything that you do say differently that you may be discovered or anything you're aware of that you need to do differently? Um, there, there isn't really. I mean, um, as far as food's concerned, um, food for training and things is pretty much exactly the same. Uh, I mean, fancy, fancy running gels, energy drinks and stuff like that never really worked for me for running. Never. It always made me feel sick. It upset my stomach. Um, So I used to drink flat Coca-Cola. And even for long distance runs, I'd have mini Mars bars, naked bars. And uh, when I did a 100 miler, my wife met me at 52 miles with a pizza. (laughs) And I had uh, a large cheese and tomato pizza. So, But no, as far as um, anything that I've changed or adapted to, it's it's nothing really. I'm doing everything that I was before. Just with the the benefit, I'd say, of not having the stomach and bowel issues that I had before, which some people do get. Um, mm-hmm. It's quite common to get joggers drop when you're you're out running, um, because you have such an intake of sweet, sugary stuff and uh, an array of things that you wouldn't normally have at different checkpoints that it upsets quite a lot of people's stomachs. Which um, t- touch wood <laughs> um, doesn't doesn't happen to me anymore. Um, 
so yeah as far as um things have changed nothing's really changed for me as far as training is concerned oh that's that's cool uh, is, do yeah. you ever have to consider do you consider taking things to slow down your output or anything out or does it just seem to slow down naturally for you it slows down naturally for me during races because um i'm borderline dehydrated during a race um i do ensure that i do have um some form of electrolyte um generally more often than not a diarolyte i'll just have diarolyte um because the electrolytes that i've i've got friends that use electrolytes and stuff during races and salt sticks and um the blocks and things but and it works well for them but for me it's never really worked mm -hmm. um so i yeah i don't <coughs> excuse me um yeah i don't i don't have to really take anything different i just have to make sure that obviously i drink um between checkpoints, I make sure that, so if I'm doing a, a distance run, for example, I make sure that between checkpoints, I drink, say, 500 ml of fluid. Um, and, and that's it, really. I, yeah. yeah. I think one of the things you touched on about your, your endurance events, and I think it stretches beyond, again, uh, people running with ostomies or having IBD and just general yeah. uh, fitness is the importance of, of eating actually real food and the energy gels yeah. and stuff. Although they are, they work, it's kind of like, ecstasy for for mm. a for a fuel you know it's the most efficient mm. you eat but you can only load off it for so long there's a really interesting statistic from the uh tour de france uh talking about loading and if you take it within the first 30 minutes the quantity that you'll need to take after the the next six hours is just yep. unsustainable because obviously as you peak the greater the peak the more severe the trough yeah, uh, you take that type of energy. So one of the main things that when I've talked to the sort of professional athletes is how much they depend on real food, certainly earlier in those yeah. endurance races, and then towards the end, like the Tour de France teams, like Team Sky, for example, don't dope on um, gels until they're in the last sixty to ninety minutes. All right, okay. Um, and they will consume real foods. Obviously, there are certain cyclists that'll have an element where they need to yeah. one point for that section of the race and they'll be allowed to take gels and stuff during that section, but predominantly yeah. in collective, they won't, they won't take gels. And certainly the key riders won't take gels until they're in that final third because yeah. it's just not sustainable for them. Yeah. yeah. See, I found that, um, I've, I spoke to a friend who said to me that, um, with real food, it's best to, on um endurance events to start eating real food early on like you've just said um <coughs> just because the amount of time it takes to get into your digestive system uh, it's got to go through your stomach and get into into your body um and they said that's the same with gels and stuff so anything really up to a half marathon they said you don't need anything because you'll be finished by the time you get the goodness from the food and gels and stuff that you've had and it made sense um Marathons, totally different story. Um, I on a marathon, I try and consume something earlier on, even if it's just a naked bar, which is predominantly fruit based, fruit and nut based. I'll have that early on because otherwise, I get to about anything from sixteen to eighteen miles, and I hit the wall every single time. If I don't eat early on, I hit the wall, and there's no coming back in a marathon from hitting the wall. Um, so yeah, I agree with you on that. I do agree with you. Um, have you noticed anything 
uh, with having an ostomy and obviously the resection of your the, the changes to your bowel, that mm-hmm. there's foods now that you can't eat, or there's anything that you notice you've had. To I I eat everything, <laughs> but it's it's amazing what food you without without being going into too much detail. It's amazing what food you actually don't digest. Um, fruit and veg, for example, I can eat fruit and veg and pretty much pass fruit and veg um for me it just it's it fills me up but i don't feel i get the benefit from it so um i actually take a a green supplement um and it's just powder form and i mix it in with a drink and i'll drink that first thing in the morning because um fruit and veg passes straight through me things like mushrooms i have to be really careful with the mushroom um i just don't digest it and if i swallow a mushroom whole or anything then yeah it's uh quite a nervous wait for it to pass i know yeah i know so but no as far as any other food's concerned i've i've just resumed normal diet i just make sure that i chew everything so it's absolutely tiny um so that i can pass it easily so what would your advice be to somebody who's come through their diagnosis and is considering now starting into running do it do it definitely um I found it helped. I did find it helped. Um, up until, like I said, the point where I became too ill um, and I wasn't able to do it. But mentally at the start, it, it was something that I needed to do. Um, it gave me a vent for, um, for any frustrations that I built up. Um, so I definitely recommend it. There's, there's lots and lots of different courses online. There's Couch to 5K courses. Um, as far as nutrition's concerned, it's a learning curve what works for someone doesn't necessarily work for other people um but yeah i I definitely would recommend running um join there's many running clubs across the uk as well and uh they're fantastic i used to run with black pair joggers in worcester and uh they do everything from a walking group up to um efforts groups so everything from kind of walk run up to like your five minute mile pace um and yeah, it just, it's, it's definitely, definitely something that I recommend that people do. Go into the gym sometimes when you've got a form of bowel disease can be quite, um, quite scary, um, especially if you're using equipment and you pass wind or something, which with bowel disease generally it can, it can be quite, um, quite horrific. And um, even if you're going into the toilet in the gym and I know for women, especially like my wife, she, she's not a fan of doing that because if somebody goes in after you, it could be quite embarrassing. So, um, yeah, each, each to their own. Do you know what I mean? So, um, yeah, so, but no running's, um, it's just you time. It's just getting out. You can exercise your demons. You can give yourself a good talking to, and when you come back, you feel great for doing it. No, it's, it's so true. And all, all the things you touched on there and yeah, you know, yeah. it is, it is a, it's just a fact of life. Um, I've reached the stage in the, our chat where I get to the point of where I rip off Lewis Howes. And it's an yeah. element I call the three truths. So it's your last day on earth, many years from now. And everything you ever, you've ever done has sort of has disappeared. So like your Instagram and all of your, your races have disappeared. And you have the opportunity to leave three of your life lessons, things that you've learned and would like people to learn from your journey. 
what would your free lessons be or what would you want the people to to have learned what would i want people to have learned i'd say the main thing is like i touched on earlier that um that life's not always good um it, it will punch you in the face sometimes when you least expect it it could be anything um and when you're down it probably will kick you in the face when you're down as well but um bad times pass and like i said bruises heal and scars will fade um just just keep going that's it just keep going i mean after every storm the sun comes out and i'd say that's that's my main one the second one is probably um just love unconditionally that's that's what i try and do i try and um just see the best in everyone um yeah sometimes it's hard sometimes it is hard and and some people will um take you for granted um what would i say my third one would be um don't take life too seriously either try and have fun yeah even 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 on even on your worst day um i try and see the good in a day so for example i just i'll go back to when i was ill um if i had a bad day if i didn't have an accident during that day um that that was a good thing that was a positive out of a negative day um and i'd say they're my three things that i'd want people to take from my life um yeah i think that's class uh, your first one made me think of rocky uh, yeah that's 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 where it came from i've just adapted that kind of thing it's sort of like so, the balboa one where he's talking to his son in the street about like it's not about how hard you can hit it's about how hard you can yeah. and keep moving forward absolutely absolutely yeah. It's such a truth, I think, especially when you're dealing with a chronic disease. Mm. Yeah, like they're, they're really beautiful. Um, and I think very good lessons, I think, of everyone could learn something mm. from. I think, I think I could do better at them all as well. <laughs> yeah. but, um, yeah, I, I just want to thank you so much for coming okay. on. No worries. Have a chat, and I just like to show my appreciation to yourself. By Not a problem. It's really great just to follow your journey and see you um, showing everyone that what is possible with an ostomy, and Thank how you. much that your life isn't over, and just keep on pushing those boundaries and taking it to the next stage of your endurance running. Thank you, and apologies for being a bit cloudy as well. Recovering from flus a little bit, you lose your train of thought sometimes. So. I'm sorry about that. But yeah, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Oh, it's brilliant. Um, the only thing